I wanted to talk a bit about Lakota with Marty, the good old days and what the future holds. Lakota was, in my youth, in the kind of particularly in the house kind of era from about 1991, perhaps to about 1994-95, was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, nightclub, particularly for house music, in in the whole of the southwest. And coaches would come, you know, far, far, you know, from all over the region, from the Midlands. DJs were coming from all over the world. I remember when the new Seven Bridge was built, Mixed Mag did an article and said the only reason they built that bridge was to bring people in to, from Wales to Lakota. Just you used to have, I can't remember her name, but you used to have a girl on the door, didn't you? Mandy. Yeah, with a fur coat that would kind of walk up and down, walk up and down the queue. You're not coming in, you're coming yeah, in. So it did we, have... we had a few of those. We had Phoebe first and then Mandy yeah. and Tyrone. I don't know if you remember Tyrone. Um, he was a very cross-dressing, black, very sort of Jamaican. And they just used to stop people from getting in. But that was kind of the national house scene. For a while, we managed to pull that off, but really with people coming from out of town. And Bristol, it is so not Bristol. There was all these other places, which Colonians just felt more comfortable. You didn't have to dress up. You could wear your trainers. You could listen to sort of a bass-inspired music. I mean, if we look at the facts of it, everywhere else has come and gone. We're still here. I mean, we we just had our 28th birthday, so I don't mind that we're not synonymous with a particular era because I just, we've yeah. we've we've managed to pull off um, what not many people have pulled off nationally. And now it's quite a eclectic mix of nights at Lakota. I mean, I'm amazed yeah. sometimes. You can walk into look something like Rumble in the Jungle. They are literally yeah. listening to the mu- my mum and dad's record collection, and it's all young people. And then you've got. Right. And you go yeah. you go backstage and it's like all these old Jamaicans who are um, yeah. just living their best life because they've got this new audience. Yeah, yeah. It's coming to an end though, isn't it now? A, a decision has been made that it will be sold fairly soon. Is that correct? We haven't said anything like that. So far, what we've done is we've got planning permission and we haven't made any decision about anything else. And there's been a lot of speculation. A lot of people claim to be saving in Lakota, but we're looking at our options. We haven't made any hard and fast decision, and we definitely haven't had any negotiations with any developer. We've banded about a bit then, because I think this is a sensitive issue, isn't it? Particularly in that area, people are getting more and more annoyed around the sort of corporatization. And I suppose Lakota being seen as a a family-run, independently-run nightclub. Some people seem to take that quite sort of personally. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about Lakota and things we do, but not a lot of people do anything. So um, yeah. so it's easy to sit there and claim you're saving something when actually you've done nothing. A lot of it is uh, pe- people want platforms in order to make a lot of noise and bring attention to themselves. You know, we're not like that. We just get on with what we're doing. And at the moment, we're um, literally, I've got James coming around in a bit. We're going to trawl through the government guidance on reopening and going to, you know, reopen. You know, all of that other stuff is just speculation. <clears throat> Anyone with any sense would realise that having a planning ticket on your buildings that you own gives you more options as to what you do with it. So, I mean, I even jumped on it. I think I did a tweet out saying, oh, really sad to see Lakota go. And so that just goes to show how, I don't know, Chinese whispers or all things kind of developed, doesn't it? Yeah, I just find it quite amusing because all of that speculation saying that we've sold it, we've got um, developers pulling our um, strings, all of it is just yeah. it's made up. And it's quite interesting that 
the demographic has obviously changed around that area in in the last five, ten years. And the people that are kind of passionate about community space has changed. A lot of them come from outside Bristol. There's an interesting dynamic to this. It's obviously you are a family-run business that's been around for how long, did you say? 40, how many years? Um, so we've been involved in the place since 92. So that's a long, long time. And that is a lot longer than, dare I say, the vast majority of people that are probably stamping their feet about this have been even in the city so 1981 my parents had the Beaufort which is on York Road 1983 is when they bought the Tropic Club and you know that's where we're from that sort of area so we've been around there for a long time so how does that feel then when you hear and I'm going to generalize now but if you hear a lot of white middle class people from outside Bristol damping their feet about you're taking away our resource our club when you are you know, a family that's embedded in that community and have been feared. So it's, it's, an, it's an odd dynamic, isn't it? You're kind of being seen as a sort of cowing to a corporate machine if you, if you, if you do sell it to, to somebody else. Yeah. Areas change that everyone knows that. Gentrification is not unique to Bristol. And whether it's a good or bad thing, I'm sitting on the fence on that because I think yeah. it's natural that areas change. And I think yeah. it's interesting. You always get a certain group of people who move in somewhere and they decide I'd like it and I don't want it to change but they have no regard for the people who were there before them they're trying to future-proof something which isn't theirs to future-proof when we started on our journey this time around with the planning I got out of the blue an email from somebody who's running a community building on Stokes Grove a large one I won't name them it was a long drawn-out email essentially saying that no, you don't have to get rid of your venue. If you come and sit with us, we'll show you how to make it into a fully community space. And I just thought, <laughs> here you are on the cusp of losing your building. And we yeah. have owned our building for a long time and survived lots of like quite traumatic financial. Um, the house seems dying on its feet. That you know, being closed down numerous times. And there's a group of young hipster people offering themselves up to come and help us save our building and I didn't I just I just didn't even reply and I just thought they probably looked at us and thought oh these poor black people they need our help they thought they were helping us save our building and they couldn't even save themselves so what like a sort of almost like a paternalistic attitude towards yeah that's, that's the way we saw it and yeah. a friend she said she was in a steering group and she said she turned to them when the proposal came up that they were going to write to us and make an offer that they could help us that she turned to them and said no you've got it a bit wrong I know they you know I've known that family for a long time they've owned several other buildings on Stokescroft they know what they're doing and she said she was actually was shocked they kind of shut her down don't agree that she they they're still going to approach us because they were absolutely convinced we needed their help to save our building wow See, that's interesting. That demonstrates a lack of no- local knowledge of the area, doesn't it? Because I think anybody anybody that's been around in Bristol for a certain amount of time that's been involved in music would know your family or would know of kind of the history. of <laughs> yeah. the co- That's interesting that that's the take on it, because I wonder the other sort of take on it is that this, but it, it, there's a racial dynamic, but there's also a class dynamic to this as well that I think, and, and I think this, this ties quite nicely, I think, into you, not only being involved in the various boards you are, but then, you know, taking up the offer to become a merchant venturer. Just the class dynamic, I find, 
almost a resistance, I would say, from white middle class people coming to Bristol um, would, would almost, in a sense, say that you're selling out to the corporate dollar whilst they'll, whilst they'll be sat in a pub in Statescroft. And there is resistance towards, I guess, socially mobile people from the black community. Would that be, would, would, did you agree? Yeah, I just think you know, no, no particular race or any or class are homogenous within that. There is lots of nuance and um, lots of different. You know, even to say us as a family, we all think the same about anything is yeah. absolutely untrue. We all um, we're all loud Jamaicans. We shout, shout at each other. We disagree. Yeah. So I think that you get people who come to Bristol don't know anyone and just put black people in a, a bucket and they're all the same. yeah they look at the stats oh got this that's a deprived community that um they need um yeah like you say paternalistic colonialistic yeah. however you want to put it they just think that people need looking yeah. after when actually a lot of people can look after themselves thanks for listening i'm neil mags and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city. <laughs>